If you're feeling like a pen, hey, go and brush your shoulders off. That's right. Welcome, welcome, scribes and scribblers, to the Nib Section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Uh, I'm here with the whole team, but we're um, we're, we're connected uh, over the internet today. I'm I'm dialing in remotely, and uh, I think the only two people that are face to face are the the next two hosts. I'm going to uh, introduce. We have uh, fearless leader Diana here with us. Welcome, Di. Hi, Chuck. We also have Sharon in the room with her. Hello. And uh, joining us is our Novocastrian Castellan, Max. How are you, Max? I'm doing doing pretty well. What is everyone writing with today? Chuck, why don't you start us off? Well, um, uh, I've just been gifted, my friend returning from Vietnam um, and Singapore, set of three of the apricot uh, orange pilot petites. So I have the brush, the what they call the sign pen, which is a felt tip, and the little fountain pen. And I think they're like $2 a piece or something like that. And i got to tell you, this little $2 fountain pen writes pretty well. Um, the, the feed is like a, a wick in plastic, and the it's a steel nib, but it's smooth, and you know, it's a, it's a real fun little pen. Um, you've got a whole bunch of these, don't you, Sharon? Uh, it was my top pick for Christmas gifts last year, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as as I recall, you've you've got pretty much one one in every color, if not. I have multiple in every color. You have all, all three in every color. And do, uh, what about you? What are you writing with now, Sharon? Uh, so on topic for today, this is almost a f- uh, Franken pen, but probably not in the traditional sense of the word. I have a Sailor Marita Pro Gear from the Marita Pen Shop in Osaka. And uh, it's in the full size. I think the official name of this is the Mozart. Not actually, it's not actually called the Morita Progi. I think it's called the Mozart after um, the Mozart Concert Hall ceilings, I think it is. So it's like a um, robin's egg blue pen. I don't know if people can see it. But uh, I've swapped on a Naginata medium fine nib onto this particular pen. So it's got a 21 carat uh, rhodium uh, rhodium plated Naginata medium fine. And it's inked with the Sailor Sakura Mori, Sailor Gentle Sakura Mori. And I specifically brought this. One, because it was sort of a Franken-Pen. Two, so that Dai could drop her Naginata pun. <laughs> Naginata problems and we each have one. <laughs> That's the, uh, the now um, the, the second generation. <laughs> look, look, okay. Uh, my position on this podcast does not involve me writing any puns in advance. Where's so I'm particularly proud of this one. <laughs> I, I was real happy with it, actually, Dai. I, I, I saw it and I laughed to myself. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. And so I actually whipped this one out um, when I saw the new Naginata nibs come out. They got announced with like double the price tag. And then I was kicking myself for selling like half my Naginata <laughs> nibs. So how many do you have left? I was going to ask you about that. Uh, seven. That's still a lot. I, I had about double that amount. And they mostly Naginata MFs? Uh, I like the MS. I actually like the Naginata M's, mm-hmm, which is like a broad. It's it's uh, it's like a paintbrush. <laughs> They're really nice. Um, I like the Naginata M's. Uh, I have mostly MFs now because um, I can't write with an M. Mm-hmm. I think I have, may have two Naginata M's, and I have one Naginata broad, which is unusable. Is there such a thing as a Naginata F? No. Okay, so MF is MF the is the yeah. smallest smallest. Is- Naginata MF Doom um, can be your next uh, be your next tag. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's fantastic! I need to think of a, a pun now for that. There's going to be one. All right, Max, what are you writing with? I'm writing with an Omas 360 that I picked up um, about a year yeah about a year ago at this um, this point in time with a, a lovely eight in carat medium, and it's currently inked with. Edelstein Tanzanite because it was one of the few inks that was dry enough to make this thing not a total fire hose. You're, you're a big fan of that one, aren't you? Um, I, I love this pen. Um, it very rarely leaves the house except to go to meets because mm. I, I don't feel like 100% comfortable carrying it in, in my shirt. It doesn't quite fit. 
and I don't really have any any good um, pen cases. So recommend me a large single pen case audience. I think both of us came in um, into OMS like kind of after all was said and done. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've I've seen um, I've seen the three hundred and sixty, and it's a it's a very interesting very interesting shape. It's all the things I like about the Lamy Safari's grip, but better because it's a chunkier grip. And, and they're, they're not straight facets either. They're like no, they're curved they're facets. Very slightly curved. Yeah. I would have hated to be in the manufacturing department when they were building this. Uh, so I think if you're still if you're looking for a single pen case, I'm pretty sure the Visconti single pen case will fit the 360 large. Yeah, it would have to. I'm looking at the Franklin Christoph small cases at the moment. Mm-hmm. Will they fit the 360? I'm, I'm not sure if they fit the the big 66 because that's a big full size 66 mm-hmm. is a large pen. I think I've seen Tavik's. I think he has the 66, um, so it should fit. Otherwise, my grandmother's been working on this case for about a year now. Um, I put the design to her about this time, but she's got stuff to do, so I don't blame her. Okay. Um, what I'm using today, uh, here's the story. I rushed out of the house um, at 8.40 or so um, to get here for the recording, and I, com- I I packed everything except for a pen. So what I'm using is instead my default, my backup pen, which is always in my purse, and that's my Parker Jutta. <laughs> in emerald green. Yes, it is. Um, We're very familiar uh, with this. Which made its original appearance in our ballpoint episode. Today, we uh, our main topic uh, is Franken-pens, and, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, we do have some news coming up. Di, Sharon, either of you want to take a, our, our main news segment? Sure, I will. In response to recent episodes, we got a lot of really great feedback. Um, but in particular, Nicholas Gold in Melbourne, who was our guest um, on a couple of episodes. He was the first fountain pen collector that we did the collector series with. And um, I think Mark and Soph also talked to him in Melbourne last year for the Melbourne Pen Show. Nicholas, he wrote in a lovely email um, and he was saying how much he enjoyed the podcast. But also he reminded us that we should not forget to mention the Melbourne Pen Show. Um, Since we're recording now in mid-October, I think it's a good time to remind everyone that uh, the other Australian pen show is coming up. Um, The Melbourne Pen Show is the longest running pen show in Australia. I think it's been going on for seven or so years now. Before I got into pens. Oh, so more than 10 years. Yes. I was speaking with Barry Applebaum, I think, after the Sydney show, and he mentioned he'd been to every single um, Melbourne pen show there ever was, I think, which was about 16, 17 years, something like that. Yeah, my first Melbourne pen show was 2007, I want to say, 2007 or 2006. So here are the details for the Melbourne International Pen uh, Show. It's being held this year on November the 25th at the Melbourne Town Hall. Admission is $10 and under 18s get in for free. And you can look for an exhibitors list, I think, and some more details about the pen show, including photos from past shows at www.melpenshow.com.au. Just checking in, um, this year is the show's 20th birthday. So they've been every year since 1998. There you go. Show's as old as me. So you don't get the free under-18s entry, huh, Max? No. Um, two years show. Oh, well. Sharon, are you going to this year's show? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Uh, if I can swing a trip, then I will. Um, my November plans are a little bit sketchy. I'm going to try and make it, though. Yeah, but I know that I think Mark and Sophia will be going and um, a bunch of friends of the pod will, of course, be there as well, including Nicholas and Mel and Alistair and, um, and of course, Max Browd, um, the organiser of the show, will be there as well. So uh, look out for that. Put it in your diary and go and support the show. I'm sure it will be very, very good. So our main topic today, Franken-Pens. So, so, you know, some of you may, may already be well, well familiar with the idea, but um, for those of you that aren't, uh, what is a Franken-Pen? Um, well, we think of a Franken-Pen as a, any pen with non-factory components, um, things that have been added uh, or subtracted. Sometimes they're made uh, almost piecemeal around one component from from a main manufacturer. Other times, they're just a, a little bit of an addition. 
why why do we have Franken pens? Um, there's there's many reasons. I'm I'm going to let uh, Di and Sharon list off some of them. Uh, I think this is the area of Max's um, expertise. So um, I'd love to hear from Max. Awesome. Um, yeah, I've I've done a number of these in the past uh, a while, particularly with, um, with vintage nibs on modern. When I was first getting into the hobby, it wasn't a vintage nib. Now that I think about it, I um, transplanted a Faber Castell. Uh, steel medium onto my Twisby vac and that was an everyday carry pen for me for a bit of uh, a smoother nib on a pen that I used a lot so that's that's a common reason you might want to use a Franken pen you might want to get a bit more capacity on a nib you you particularly like so basically um, you have parts of pens with features that you like but you don't like all the features of a pen so you're trying to combine the best of each particular pen in one experience is that right yeah um for an example at the moment i've got a japanese wartime um what they call a shiro nib um which was a lighter stainless steel um and they're often quite flexible nib and i've currently mounted that in a pilot prera for a bit of a um a pocketable expressive writing pen i had an Ebersharp signature nib which is another semi-flex nib that i've mounted in one of my own pens because the, the pen that it was mounted in didn't work. Well, I'd resacked it, and it turns out it was leaking everywhere. There's a couple of others I've got. One that I'm I'm not sure I qualify as a Franken pen is a is my Pelican M200. I've got a um, the M400 snip mounted in that. I do so that, that too. So that, I think that's an interesting point because when I think of a Franken pen, I don't necessarily think that you have to get bits of various types of pens or various brands of pens and put them into the same um, same instrument. Uh, I sometimes view Franken pens as things which were not. Um, uh, things which were changed post uh, coming out of the factory. So any non-factory components, even if it's, uh, you know, the original maker, it's just something that you subbed in. Yeah. Um, yeah. You brought up an interesting thing um, next uh, about the your repair, uh, but often um, Franken-Pens happen where there's repairs of pens where original parts are not available. Um, no, Absolutely as a matter of necessity rather than just trying to improve a certain experience or to figure out if something works. Yeah, so. I think this topic is interesting once you get up to a certain level of involvement in the hobby, right? If you're just a um, an impartial, not an impartial, but just if you're just a casual user of fountain pens, then you're not going to get so deep into the point where you're looking for non-factory parts, where you're swapping nibs between your various pens and where you're looking for uh, manufacturers and craftspeople to do custom work or um, to build a pen around a certain component. That's just getting very, very um, deep into the hobby. Yeah, you have to be familiar with sort of what every producer's yes. strengths are. Yes, yeah. yes. New and old, um, ones that are discontinued, ones that are just, n- n- don't, you know, companies that no longer exist. It really is about, I think, um, and this is, like going meta a little bit about it. It's if you think about the term Franken pens, you know, um, Dr. Frankenstein, it's about knowing individual components with a level of specificity so that you can take it apart and put it back without so much um, having to think about what their original intent was. So you know how each individual piece works and what they will be grafted onto. Um, and the various possibilities of each part, whether it's a nib or it's a section or it's a material. And that is a level of expertise, I think, which really has no end, no limit. And we can all tinker a little bit, but people who can do this in, in very creative and um, very original ways, um, I think is incredibly admirable. Maybe one example is, I'm sure you guys must know, her name, I think, Jessie Rains, um, the Estabrook lady. Oh, yeah. Yes. So uh, she only works within uh, – she works mainly within Estabrooks, of course, but there is so much interchangeability within Estabrooks. And because they're a vintage pen, um, you know, parts are always, um, I think, breaking down or you have to make new pens out of the parts of old pens that you find lying around. And I think that's a very, um, that's one particular example of a very common sort of Franken pen. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I see it a lot in um, in vintage collectors is having a, having a parts bin of stuff that you can scrounge through. And mine's not so developed quite yet, but it's yeah a bucket of stuff that I can either not currently get working or need to order or make parts to get working. Yeah, um, it's a form of recycling, yeah. I guess. Yeah, pretty much. There's there's often a, a, like a, a goal in mind. People aren't just tinkering for the sake of tinkering. Mm all the time there's there's often moving towards something you know and mm. um, pe- people aren't uh, prying um, gold nibs out of out of uh, inlaid pens to replace them with a, a steel one that they've fashioned themselves you know uh, yeah. you'd be surprised uh, I, I, I know that they exist but uh, as, as far as the larger movement in this kind of realm you see a lot of I think it's probably kind of dominated by number six compatible nib size pens there's a yeah. lot of a lot of swapping of those around between different bodies a lot of because a lot of the um a lot of the uh makers not, not the larger corporation kind of uh, uh pen producers but a lot of the um kind of smaller range makers sort of base theirs around the number six or number five uh Bok or Yovo sizes, don't they, Max? Yeah, that's that's a, a good point to bring up. Is um, is common threaded nib inserts like the the number five unit or the number six unit or the number eight unit, and to a lesser extent the Pelican and Aurora units. Yeah, the the number five unit in particular is an interesting one because a lot of vintage nibs, due to how small they are, uh, will fit pretty nicely with a number five feed. Mm-hmm. So you have um, the ability to mount vintage nibs not just with a um a friction fit feed but also into a into a pen that'll take a um a threaded nib unit and by by building around these relatively standardized parts i mean there are sort of two competing standards here with between bock and yoa they're very slightly different um but it's enough to make a difference you've got a, a great deal of flexibility in what you can do even within different grades of bock nib um for example, that's a that's a good point to address. Thinking about, uh, I've seen Visconti modern Viscontis that were shipped with the the Palladium nibs that people have taken out and put the old 18 karat gold Visconti nibs in for a bit of a writing upgrade on the idea that they perform a bit better. Mm. And even even within companies, you you've kind of got to be aware of uh, uh, what swaps are available. What, what Mods are, are kind of easy. What's uh, like a swap swapping nibs between, um, say, uh, sailors and pilots is pretty simple as long as you know what sizes they are. Is that true? I, I don't think they no, swap. I don't think so either. No, pilot no, no, and no, sailor I mean, have very different pilots and pilots and sailors. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Not between the, the, the two. I was unclear. For example, the pilot uh, 21s and 14s uh, aren't interchangeable. Sailor, Sailor 21s and 14s. Yeah, I've seen people, because Sailor in particular makes a range of pens with the same shape but at different sizes and with non-interchangeable nibs. Um, I think I've seen people trying to put the steel nibs on the Lacools um, onto a Pro Gear or something like that and they, they do not uh, work with each other. But I think when you get to that type of point, you almost wonder why. Why would you even do that? Because you can. Because I guess um, I, so I have mixed feelings about Frankenpens, right? Um, and it's not to say that I don't do it myself. I like I'm riding with one now. I swap certain nib units uh, onto pen bodies that I quite like, but all within the same brand. Um I know if you speak to certain um, collectors, they are completely against the concept of modifying an original factory pen. Um, I mean, I spoke with Costa, our infamous OMAS collector, uh, when I was hunting down a um, an OMAS Paragon celluloid in Japan. And I actually pointed it out to him and he straight away said, yes, it's got all the hallmarks of a genuine OMAS pen, but that's been that's one that's been pulled together um, either in the factory or outside of the factory because it's not original to that particular model and body shape. And all he, all I sent to him was a couple of these photos of the pen itself and the nib. And he said that nib doesn't belong on that particular pen. So to him, the value of that pen was close to nil. Right. Whereas other people would see, oh my gosh, that's a new in box, brand new, never inked, mint uh, OMAS Paragon in celluloid that you can't get anymore. 
So, and it's a limited edition. Yeah, you raise an interesting point. I think we're talking about what is what are Franken pens and what um, different types of modifications are possible. But what do you guys think, uh, Max and Chuck? Uh, do, is it something that you like? Is it something that you've tried doing yourself? And do you think there's any difference between the kind of repair work that requires you to either source or maybe even produce um, parts that will match the original and the type of Franken pen that involves pulling together very, you know, disparate um, parts to create something completely different. Do you think there's anything fundamentally different about those two types of modifications? Um, and what do you feel about them? I think there's a there's a bit of a difference between the two. I don't know if you're familiar with the Johnny Cash song, One Piece at a Time. Yeah. <laughs> um, where the he, uh, he gets a job in the car factory and instead of um, instead of saving up for his car, he, he builds it one piece at a time. I suspect that's that's probably happened with a couple of the Italian um, it- Italian pen factories. People would, you know, sneak home a barrel one day or a filler the next. Um, yeah, I think there's probably a, a very different intent that goes in um, between making, say, that, that limited edition Omas, for example, is a is a you know something that's not necessarily built out of necessity. It's more of a uh, that there's a collection of parts that could be used for something that, um, while it might not exist, it's not, you could probably quite easily find the exact correct parts that would go together. If someone could go to the, the trouble of finding the correct nib to match that particular pen, but on the other hand, would you bother? That's 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 kind of what I'm, I'm trying to get at. Um, I think underlying this is how much are you a purist, right? And how much do you value the initial integrity of the pen um, that was produced by the manufacturer do you value it for the whole of the pen it's warts and all whether it's flawed or you know whatever um things you don't like about it you just take it with the whole of the pen and you don't try to force it into something that it's not Um, that's maybe one ethos and the other is you think of the pen as a collection of parts that you can mix and match and I'm not saying that one is necessarily better than the other. And I have different attitudes depending on what kind of pen you're talking about. Like, for example, my my Omas, I would never um, take it apart um, because I think Omas, yeah. you have to understand that it, it, it does have its flaws. It's Italian. It's not always reliable. Um, you understand that the material is a bit tricky to deal with. But I accept that when I buy an Omas and I wouldn't try to you know, take an Omas nib, which I love, and put it on a body which might be more reliable and more useful and less prone to damage um, because I want the whole experience of an Omas. I don't want to take the experience of the nib and put it on something else. Omas is an interesting example because uh, it being a defunct company, but there's uh, still a number of places you can still get sort of loose Omas nibs floating around. Um, There's people that uh, want that experience, but won't necessarily be able to obtain the uh, the whole uh, pen itself. Um, there's a custom uh, that Max is working on uh, for me, which is actually going to feature um, an Omas nib. And um, you know, being that it is 2018, uh, there there aren't that uh, many uh, Omas is floating around that uh, aren't going to. Um, require bankruptcy inducing yeah yeah like it'll require an investment of 1.5 um you know this uh this uh one that we're working on um i say we it's it's just max (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, annabelle's also contributing is an interesting one um so annabelle who we've we've interviewed previously uh and max uh, have actually i've kind of asked them to have a chat to each other uh, because Max uh, has a custom that he is making for me. And I asked Annabelle, uh, being a metalsmith, to make a clip for me. Um, and there's also going to be a an OMS nib in the mix. So it, it is quite a Franken-pen you're throwing together there, uh, Max. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there's a difference between, um, between custom pens made using other manufacturers' parts and, and Franken-pens, though. There's, there's an interesting case. Um, have you seen the Peyton Street pens? They're, they're Ranga Ebonite pens, but they take a Schaefer Imperial nib unit. I have seen that. Yeah, those, those are really interesting. I don't know how they came into an oversupply of old Schaefer nibs with no barrels. Perhaps they were yeah cartridge Imperials that no one really wanted the, the barrels for, but they've 
they seem to have an awful lot of them in stock um, in even the 14 karat gold sizes. So that's a, a ready-made Franken pen that's being commercially sold through one particular retailer. Yeah, and in reasonable quantities too. Mm-hmm. Not huge production runs, but I think that they number in the couple of couple of hundred, which is something it's just considerable. I think if you really want the experience of a Triumph nib, maybe mm-hmm. that would be you don't have a great attractive of options. But do you think? Yeah, I guess, it, and it's not a extreme it's not an excessively expensive body right um so you're really buying that pen specifically for the nib um on on the other hand have you seen the harlequin pfm that someone made which is a shape of pfm with a burgundy cap and a blue barrel and a black grip section and a green filler knob i'm already Um, i haven't seen the pen but the color you're describing um i'm already (laughs) <laughs> I'm already having a lot of images. Yeah, it's it's made of four different um, individual pens of leftover parts from oh, a, interesting. a Schaefer collector. I believe it's Leigh Reyes who has it. It's a it's a really interesting looking pen. Do you know who made it for Leigh? I don't know who made it like, because it's just stock Schaefer components that are sort of, I won't say thrown together, they were put together. With- uh, I think if you're just going to get bits of pens and chuck them together, I don't even think that's a real pen. I just don't. And I am horrified with myself that I've taken Naginata nibs and chucked them onto pen bodies that I like, but I really like the Naginata nibs. Mm. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I think it, it comes from like identifying a, a, a deficiency somewhere, you know, somewhere there's, there's something that you think could be improved and whether you think that's as simple as, you know, rearranging things or doing a c- complete overhaul. Um, you are you are kind of working towards, um, you know, an idea which um, is kind of within your means. Uh, I mean, you know, you don't really see this this a lot, um, but if hypothetically you had a, a loose sailor nib, and um, you know you got a custom made around it, that's a an experiment that's that's quite understandable from your. Uh, from your point of view, I guess some people just do it because they can. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. and um, I have no, I have no desire really to do it for myself unless, um, like the case that you were talking about, you have an obas nib, and you don't have a body for it. So let's, you know, either find a body for it or make one because yeah. they're no longer being produced. Um, I think that's that to me is something that I can see myself maybe doing um the other exception probably is when um someone is producing whether it's a body um and it's actually designed to be fit together with someone else that's not someone else it's it's made to be um swapped around so for example the um like the nibs that Ralph Reyes makes like he doesn't produce bodies for them they're meant to be swappable onto various custom bodies yeah or the um, the components from like a flexible nibs factory. The you know those are specifically designed to just augment little things within uh, an existing pen. I'm back. Good. My microphone dropped out, and somehow I had to restart Chrome and fix up. It reset to default, so it was trying to replay audio through my mic. Max, what we were talking about before you dropped out is, what do you feel about this? this whole topic. I mean, I think you're in general, perhaps Sharon is the most, um, she's on the purest scale. She's yet. I still tinker with my sailors. (laughs) She does, but in a very limited capacity, but Max, you're the one who really, I think likes the idea of putting your own stamp onto a piece of, um, work. Um, not, not to say of course that I think even at your end of the scale, you would think twice about doing anything to your OMAS 360. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And maybe that's because you think the body is already perfect the way it is. But, um, you know, even if it was um, – you, if, even if you could think of small modifications that could um, conceivably improve upon it to better suit your own tastes, would you do that? Would you even conceivably do that? I think um, it would be on a pen-by-pen basis. Um, and I think I think there's a bit of a price limit too. Like I don't think I'd be quite as gung ho modifying my incoming Conid as I would be with a Twisby. Although on the other hand, the Conid does lend itself really well to the swapping of unusual nibs in. So really, only just the nib yeah. section of, of that um, 
of the Conan. Uh, the the yeah. rest of it is kind of fixed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and this is um, sort of what I was getting at when you get into like the uh, kind of like the Franklin Christoph um, kind of side of things. And there's, um, you know, where they're like very well-made pens that are cartridge converters and eyedroppers um, around a kind of a base uh, size nib unit. So you might have uh, an existing uh, Yovo book that, is in a um, that has a, a nib that's been worked on that you love in a body that you're not particularly enthused about. So you might get quite an attractive Franklin Christoph with a really boring nib because you know that you're going to swap it over as soon as you get it. Yeah, you're buying it for the body. Actually, can you buy Franklin Christophs without nib? No, you have to get like a, a stainless steel Deal. nib on it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But also on the extreme end of modifying um, pens and changing them around whether or not you have a price limit to it. Uh, I was eagerly following um, a fellow named Simon, who is uh, part of the Hong Kong pen scene, who has been modifying a whole bunch of pens, regardless of price point, to take out the nib and replace it with a um, glass nib unit. And Why? Why? Well, because he can, oh right? Actually, um, so... Uh, I saw a photo of this, and the first time it caught my attention was because he took out a, I think it was a 146 or a 149. A Mont, a Mont Blanc. Blanc. Yep. Jacked out the nib unit and replaced it with a glass n- glass nib. I looked at it, and I was just going, wow, what? <laughs> anyway, so apparently he, um, he makes or slash modifies pens to become glass nib fountain pens and I'm extremely curious I have one of his pens coming <laughs> in the mail at some point um, well I have one of his modified um, pieces in that uh, Leo bought me a cheapo pen <laughs> and then put it in for modification I think it's a piston filler <laughs> watch this space next week next episode we'll see if Sharon goes from curious to furious <laughs> And that would be a very fast transition to a furious. Um, but uh, look, on, on the note of nibs, uh, Max, n- not all not all nibs come out uh, easily. They're not as not as simple as screw-ins. Um, they're not as uh, not as simple as uh, friction fit. What are some things that help with uh, these these modifications? Um, pelican nibs are an interesting one to deal with. I've taken apart pelican units before, and I. I don't enjoy doing it because it's so fiddly. I don't actually have the proper tools, so I end up hurting my fingers trying to get the, the collar off the nib. Um, Pelican fixing nibs, they're really badly designed. A nib knockout block would be really helpful, and I need to get myself one. It's Yeah, it's a, a series of holes drilled in a metal plate with a sort of cup below that you place a section on or a, um, a, a, a nib with a threaded collar, and you gently tap on the feed so that you push the nib and feed out of the collar or section that it's mounted in. I've seen um, videos of nibmeisters and um, vintage pen repairers using one of these on YouTube, but I'm curious whether they're still manufactured because my um, initial impression was that they are um, remnants, so they're all antiques basically and Mm. um, they're decades old and they're hard to source. I've seen them for sale on, on the various pen repair tool sites, but I'm probably just going to make my own. Okay. It's not too difficult. So, uh, The other tool that really helps I like is a set of vernier calipers um, so that you can precisely measure feed or nib um, dimensions. Um, yeah, getting, getting widths of nibs so that they might fit into a cap or the diameter of a feed so you know what size nib to match with it is can be relatively important, especially with vintage nibs where... Uh, you, you might have a nib that's stamped with a number two, but that doesn't really correspond to much at all. When I was talking to Tav and Ralph for um, our episode where we interviewed Ralph Reyes, they, I think both of them, they said that often, even when you can put an, a vintage nib into a modern feed and it will fit, what you don't necessarily know in the short term is whether that's putting undue stress on the nib like um just be just because you can fit it into um a collar or onto a particular feed doesn't mean it's you're not doing damage to that nib in the process um how do you feel about that is there any way to really tell i don't think there's a 
a really easy way to tell, which yeah, makes it makes it a bit of a risky play by ear sort of thing. With some of these nibs, I, I don't have anything particularly valuable. I'm not putting ever sharp adjustable nibs or Waterman pink nibs in in things for the hell of it. Not that I own either of those. I'm mostly using cheap warranted gold nibs that I pulled off third tier pens. If I'm swapping any of my um, my vintage nibs into modern pens, that ultimately aren't a great loss to me if they do break. Okay. Um, let's get on to the next topic, which is what well, we all know in a way um, how we feel about Frankenpens now. But if you could um, create a pen, your own dream pen, using characteristics and components of existing pens, first of all, would you do it? And second, um, what would that pen look like? Let's start with Sharon, since you're the one who's uh, most conservative in this front. Uh, so would I do it? Probably not. <laughs> I think that's a pretty uh, easy answer. But um, I, if I had to make a pen myself, I would does I I would design a custom pen. I'd probably go the Nakaya route and design a custom pen because I do like their finishes. The one gripe I have with Nakaya is that their nibs are probably not what I would like them to be. So if I could have my own dream Franken pen, so to speak. Actually no, rewind all of that. Would I do it? Yes I would. <laughs> because I've just thought of the one nib the one nib that I absolutely adored that I would never actually get. Yes, I would want a pilot uh, custom Urushi size 30 nib mm -hmm. on a body that I can actually use because I can't <laughs> use that pen. It's a on massive like a, pen. On like a Nakaya Piccolo or something like that. On like a Nakaya Long Piccolo, on like a Pro Gear, on – look, it doesn't even have to be a different brand. Like I, I would love it on like a 743, Pilot Custom 743, mm -hmm. or maybe I could even stretch it to an 845. My dream pen is similar in that I love the – big Mont Blanc nibs on the 149s, but the body of the 149 does not work for me. It's too heavy and it's too fat along the section. So I would, um, I haven't held one of the Conid Minimalisticas yet, so maybe I'll try yours, Max, when it arrives. But I think I would like the 149 nib fitted onto a smaller body, maybe something like a Conid. I know you can get a the 149 nib works really well with the king size conid, but the 146 nib works really well with the number six size. I have a 146 nib. That's It's perfectly fine, but I like the bounciness mm. of the 149 nib yeah. just because of the larger size of the nib. Just like how I love the Pilot Custom Urushin nib. Oh my yeah. gosh, that nib, I dream about it. I tried so many um, of the Custom Urushi when I was in Japan and I came so close to biting the bullet, but it just... I can't write with it. The yeah. whole body is a big baton. Sharon and I are size queens when it comes to nibs, <laughs> but not when it comes to bodies. The sizing uh, is is often an issue for like the pro gear slims for me. Um, uh, in in the reverse in the reverse way. Look, I I'm gonna do like a fair bit of an overhaul here. Um, look, I love a vac filling system, but. I think they're a little more finicky than than I would like them to be. Um, in in terms of like flushing out uh, inks, and uh, I think it just takes a, a a bit more time to like change colors completely. I would probably like something pretty similar to what uh, like the Conid Regular is offering, um, in that there would be a demo body. Um, I would like perhaps maybe the filling system to be covered by a different material. Um, you know, the, I, I would like the the ink chamber itself transparent and the rest of it um, textured. I'd like an Arushi um, section because um, I love the feeling of uh, Arushi on a section. I think it's a, a really um, nice tactile feeling. But would you keep the vacuum filler on the Conid? Um, well, the Conid, the Conid ones uh, is a little easier to flush out than, like, say, the 823 vac filler. Okay. Um, so that one's fine. Nib-wise, guys, I could go I could go a lot of different ways. I ideally would love a situation in which I could uh, have um, replaceable replaceable sections. I'm, I'm, I'm really going for the modular kind of uh, Franken-Pen option. This is reminding me of, um, you know, like toys – 
when you're little and um, like, Barbie dolls and outfits. <laughs> not even that, but you know when where a, like a body of an animal is sliced into four quarters and you like in, interchange the snake and the elephant and the lion. <laughs> so you end up with this chimera. Actually, that's yeah. what we should call this episode: the chimera pens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, Make your own time. It's funny that you mentioned toys. So you could have like a Mr. Potato situation, <laughs> or you could have uh, Sid, the kid next door, in Toy mm. Story One. Yes, um, which is a very different situation. Look, I think I think Nibwise. I could go. I could go Omas. I could go Sailor Twenty One. I could go Pilot Fifteen uh, or Thirty. I'm not super picky with with either of what those there's a huge options. difference between the 15 and the 30 depends on the, how big his pen is though right it doesn't matter the, the, the 30 <laughs> nib is in a league of its own it is I, my I, firm I, I, belief <laughs> it is my firm belief that the size 30 pilot nib is basically the best nib i have ever tried <laughs> straight out of a factory and i will go and spank anyone who says otherwise <laughs> Line up to be spanked, guys. <laughs> I'm going to regret saying that someday, really. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> wait, okay, most important question for you, Chuck. Will this pen be yellow? Uh, yeah, I think I think it would uh, have to be – it would have to be. Maybe not the, the cap, definitely, and may, maybe the ends. Um, I've thought a lot about this because I've thought about approaching some of the, the custom pen builders, and I kind of toyed with it. And then um, – Max kind of uh, made made the offer to make me one out of nowhere, and um, I was like, "Look, if I'm going to get one somewhere, I might as well start with um, I might as well start with the nib section too." How about you, Max? Oh, I've got a whole bunch of crazy ideas that I've been throwing around, being like, "Oh, why does no one make a snorkel anymore, or like a proper snorkel for Sconti?" Um, <laughs> I'd like a um, I'd like a pen with a snorkel. That's a that'd be interesting, um, but not with the Schaefer touchdown filler because i hate that it's so it's it's like a vac filler but even worse to clean um so yeah if i could get a snorkel something like the the mont blanc 1912 with the safety nib and the piston filler but also a snorkel so the, the nib retracts extends and then the snorkel sort of like you know how the alien and alien the mouth opens Ooh, and, then and there's the, another mouth inside the, the mouth inside the mouth like <laughs> yeah that. um or am i remembering that wrong um no that's you you've got that right i don't know if you I don't know if the pen does that, but I know the alien. <laughs> yeah. So you'd ha- you'd take the cap off and then you'd you'd screw the nib out. And then when you want to fill, you'd turn the the piston knob again to extend the snorkel. And then you'd turn the piston knob again to move the piston down. And then you do it all in reverse. Um, nib-wise, I think I'd like something sort of either Pelican or Aurora nib unit style. Pelican, because you can get that ludicrous triple broad. Um, or Aurora because of the italics and obliques they make. And I'd probably make it – I'd like Ebonite or um, or a funky acetate celluloid would be the way to go. Well, there you go, guys. We we didn't quite reach a consensus, so that's because we have all types here on the podcast. I did not think we would reach a consensus. <laughs> no, neither did I. <laughs> if we had to reach a consensus, we'd all be getting yellow pens. Yeah, or, you know, at, at the very least, um, something with with a massive bouncy nib. Um, Size 30 nib. Which, which I think we, we have all agreed on. Um, I think that this takes us to our recommendation section. And if, for those of you listening for the first time, uh, this is a weird episode to drop in on, but um, this is where we recommend things that the hosts like that may or may not be mountain pen related. Um I am going to recommend that uh, if anyone wants to uh, get spanked by Sharon, they can tell her <laughs> the number 30. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm going to give it a bit of thought to my recommendation for a second. Um, but uh, does anyone want to go first? I can go first. Um, I'm going to re- recommend something that I was listening to on the way to this recording. And uh, it's a recommendation that comes with a caveat, and I'll explain the caveat a little bit later on. So a um, little background on me. I am semi-fluent in Mandarin, fluent in Shanghainese. And it's because I live in Australia mainly, and I only use Chinese in terms of work. Um, I don't get much exposure to Chinese pop culture or things like that because I don't watch you know, um, Chinese TV series or movies so much. But in the process of trying to up my cultural literacy um, in Chinese, I've been listening to this podcast 
made by a group of, I think they're media uh, critics and writers and um, academics in Beijing. It's called Culture Potato, Wanhua Pudou. And they, they all talk in Mandarin, um, but they review and discuss a bunch of media, mainly Chinese, British and American, but also some international films and things like that. They all have um, a background of studying overseas, so they're very culturally literate. And um, I think they discuss things with a different slant and perspective than, you know, Western media. And I find that very interesting to listen to. So the episode I was listening to today, today is uh, Sunday 14th of October, um, they were talking about the UK miniseries that uh, aired recently called Bodyguard, I think, with Keely Halls and Richard Madden. And they were also discussing the, what was it, the Senate hearings, the testimonies of uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and uh, Brett Kavanagh uh, from several weeks ago. So they, they tackle a whole range of issues and topics, but they also talk about um, Chinese media and novels and films and things, things like that. And um, I just really value their different take on it. It's very interesting. They're generally very um, liberal. They're not like um, culturally conservative or socially conservative and they're people I can relate to but often with very different takes um, and the caveat is because I'm not going to excuse this but they are Chinese and sometimes there is a lot of casual racism which you just have to kind of take you know with um, with the culture I think but as long as you understand that it's there I think there's a lot to be gained from listening to it that's my recommendation all right uh, who wants to go next I'll um, take it I've been getting into homebrewing recently, which might just be enabling myself badly. Um, oh, I was, this this seemed like a matter of time situation for me, Max. Just, yeah. just knowing the, the kind of uh, DIY person that you are, I was waiting for this. Yeah. Um, so I bought the the Coopers off the shelf kit for their pale ale, and then we decided. Oh, my dad and I decided we'd get back into homebrewing um, again, and then we thought, oh, we'll. We'll build it up with some different malts and hops. And yeah, no, that's going really well. So I'd like to recommend the the Cooper's Homebrew Kit if you're interested in brewing your own beer and you live in this wonderful country of ours. Similar things are available in, in other places, but um, this, this Cooper's Kit produces a, a pretty nice beer for a really reasonable price. You get everything you need except the water in the, in the box. Just add water. All right. And I'll carry on after that. So if you'd like to add some fizz into your uh, beer, uh, can I recommend the Soda Stream, which I have just purchased and I am obsessed with. I've probably drunk three litres of water since getting it. And I'll point out, I got it at like about 8 p.m. last night, 7, 8 p.m. last night. I'm busting to go to the loo right about now. <laughs> but... Um, I drink a lot of carbonated water. Like I, I drink a lot of sparkling water because I don't drink any soft drinks and it's my way of getting like a bubbly drink. Um, so every single year I would say that I spend uh, a shocking a dollar amount on uh, sparkling water. But now I have invested in a soda stream which makes 60 litres of bubbly water in one canister according to their – uh, uh, instructions. Um, and yeah, I'm loving it. It's a pretty decent price. I think if I stopped drinking coffee and sparkling water, from, like buying it um, externally, that'd be what, two, three weeks worth of coffee and sparkling water money that um, went into my original investment of a soda stream. And I think it's worth it. I don't think you can add additional fizz to beer, though. Does that work? You can add additional fizz to everything. The CO2 doesn't play well with the flavour. It makes it all... It's fine. It's fine. If you don't like the flavour of beer, I guess it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. You can add You can add it to everything. Don't do it to milk. <laughs> Carbonated milk. <laughs> well, actually, do you, have you ever tried, uh, complete sidebar, have you ever tried those Korean milkus? I think it's called milkus. Yeah, Kalpus. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm no, it's not, it's not Kalpus. It's milkus. Milkus. It's sparkling milk, milk flavoured cordial or carb yeah. it's some carbonated Actually, drink i don't, I don't mind milk it. i don't think it's a, it's not an everyday drink it's like a kombucha like it's nice every now and then none of us are chemists really but what it's happens milk based. but what happens when you put like fats and carbonation oh, I'll, I'll ask joanne and we'll, we'll come back to that yeah we'll I'm circle really back in yeah yeah <laughs> um i'm going to i'm going to make a recommendation um 
prefacing it with uh, Mont Blanc released a limited edition model of uh, I can't remember I can't remember which model, but they uh, released a model themed after uh, Le Petit Prince, um, which is a novel um, from the 1940s uh, from France. It's been translated. It's a very very fun little. Um, Novel. I'm not recommending the pen. I want one of the pens. I think I want one of the pens just because it references it. I'm not yeah. too sold on the pen in general, but I my recommendation is the book itself, uh, Le Petit Prince or The Little Prince. Uh, if you have not read it, it is uh, not going to take much time out of your day, and it is a pretty wonderful little um, and thoughtful, um, essentially a children's story. That is um, that translates well. The nib on the uh, Mont Blanc Petit Prince uh, pen has a fox on it. It does have the fox, but my favourite character is the snake. But it comes guilloshed, and if you get one of their, um, uh, is it the duo? Uh, versions like one of the ones which has a metal cap the nib is two-tone and it is gorgeous and if i were to make my own i would get the resin body and i want that two-tone nib on it that's the problem with the mont blancs i think is this like the higher end special editions have the nicer nibs but i'd still take the lower end special editions bodies all right well that uh, takes us to the end of the episode thank you everybody for joining us thanks uh, max for uh, calling in once again uh glad to be back and uh Sorry about my technical issues. That's all right. Thank you, Sharon and Di, for holding down the fort. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Chuck. Um, as always, I'm Chuck Montano. And until next time, listeners, ink well. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Chucks Monsanto, Max Schumacher and Diana Dai. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dai. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening.